Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights Podcast, where we talk about interesting recent work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. All right, today's paper is Transition-Based Dependency Parsing with Stack Long Short-Term Memory by Chris Dyer, Miguel Ballesteros, Wangling, Austin Matthews, and Noah Smith. These were folks at CMU. This is an older paper. This was ACL 2015, about two years ago now. And to motivate this paper, I think it's good to start off with transition-based parsers in general and uh, how it is that they work and how they make their decisions. So to do dependency parsing, you try to decide essentially for each word in the sentence what's its head. And you can do this in shift-reduce or transition-based dependency parsing by starting with um, the sentence in a buffer and then doing a sequence of either shifts or reduces. And so you have a buffer and a stack a shift moves a word from the buffer onto the stack, and uh, a reduce will pop two words off of the stack and create a link between them, a head-child relationship or dependency between them, possibly with some label associated with it. And in this way, just by doing a sequence of shifts and reduces, you can build up a dependency tree from a sentence. And so if this is the model of parsing that you want to, to use, the key thing that you have to figure out is how do you uh, model the state of the parser such that at any point you can decide whether you should shift or whether you should reduce? And uh, from the early days of shift-reduce dependency parsing, what you would do is take the parser state, which includes everything that's on the stack, everything that's on the buffer, and all of the things that you've done so far, and in hand engineer some features based off of this, like maybe look at some suffixes of the first word on the buffer or the part of speech tag of the first and second words of the buffer or the thing on the stack or the last action that you took and encode these as one-hot features and learn weights associated with them in some kind of linear model, which you would then use uh, given any particular state to decide should I shift or should I reduce. This is how things worked for a long time. There's a lot of research that I'm sweeping under the rug there, but that's the general idea. So how did the, the neural network models uh, improve on this, on, this, uh, on this line of work? So the earliest neural nets uh, took these feature representations, these one-hot features, and embedded them. So you still essentially had hand-engineered hand features, just instead of them having one-hot representations, they would get an embedding. So that you could learn, for instance, that uh, if your part of speech tag is NN, that's similar to the part of speech tag NNS, and so you could share some statistical strength between uh, the features that you get. So it's not, the, the feature information isn't quite as sparse as it was previously. And yeah, and substantial improvements came out of, of this uh, embedding. Uh, so Donkey Chen's paper is uh, considered uh, a milestone in dependency parsing in that sense. Yeah, and then after that, the natural question is, how far can you take this idea? What, can, what else can you embed uh, like, can, can we get rid of these hand-engineered feature representations entirely? And so I view this paper that we're looking at today, this was a bit of a long intro, but we're now finally at this, uh, I'll call the Stack LSTM pa paper. Um, this idea is like the natural extension and conclusion of how much of the parser state can we embed. And essentially what they do is they develop a representation where we can just take the entire state of the parser, everything on the stack, everything on the buffer and the entire action sequence and put it into one big neural net that gives us a single vector at the end of features that we can then use to 
uh, decide should we shift or should we reduce. So Waleed, you were in this group uh, while this work was going on. You were Chris's student, as we found out last time. Uh, so do you have any insight on like the development of this work? Yeah, this actually was a very exciting uh, time in the group. Uh, Miguel Ballestres was joining us as a postdoc. He knows a lot about dependency parsing and, uh, and uh, this uh, style of uh, parsing. And uh, Chris Dyer uh, was starting to uh, work on neural networks and deep learning. Um, and we noticed that there is a gap in, in the libraries that are used, currently used for, uh, that at the time were used for uh, doing neural networks, using neural networks for, um, for NLP, um, which can be summarized by saying that the graph, uh, the, the computation graph for the neural network must be specified beforehand, uh, which doesn't really fit uh, many scenarios in, in, the, in, um, in natural language processing. So the simplest case is that different sentences will have different uh, lengths, but also the tree structure uh, when you're doing parsing will be different depending on which sentence you're parsing. Um, so this give rise, give rise to the development of the CNN library, and uh, which is now called Dynet. Um, but at the same time, yeah, so we, uh, Chris and uh, Miguel came up with the idea of the stack LSTM uh, parser. Uh, to convert basically to uh, like as a pure uh, to, to some extent a pure um, a pure model uh, that doesn't use features uh, to do stack uh, stack parsing. Yeah, that's interesting. So it, uh, if we talk about the specifics of this model a little bit, there are three different components of the parser state. There's the stack, where um, as I said before, you shift things from the buffer onto the stack, and then you can pop stuff off. Uh, and push it back onto the stack. And so on the stack, you get these tree structures. It's not just single words. Each element on the stack could be a subtree and eventually will be the entire parse tree. Um, the buffer is just a sequence of words, and the action state is just a sequence of actions. And so it's pretty natural to think of an RNN, just a simple recurrent network um, encoding the buffer and the, the action sequence. But the stack is tricky. How do you get fancy? representations of what's on the stack, uh, because each of these things is its own tree structure. And this is, this is one thing that seems particularly hard to do in frameworks other than something like Dynet that allows you to do computation graphs. So it seems like a natural fit um, that this was developed in the same place that um, these dynamic computation graphs were. So the stack LSTM is essentially like a recurrent neural net, uh, except you can push and pop stuff off of it. And so there's a pointer to uh, the current top of the stack. And if you push something on, the pointer moves. If you pop something off, the pointer goes back. And so it's, it's essentially a recurrent net, but you've lost anything that's been popped off. And that's how the stack is encoded. And then to get the final parser state that you uh, decode from, or you predict shift and reduce, you just concatenate the representations of the stack, the action sequence, and the buffer. And that's the model. Hopefully that makes sense. It's a little bit hard to talk through this without a figure, but we will try to get better. Yeah, if, you, if there's a screen in front of you, you might want to look at figure two in the, in the paper uh, as Matt is describing, describing it. So this is an interesting, innovative model. Uh, do you know much? I, I don't follow parsing all that much. I think you follow it a little bit more than, than I do. Do you know much of what's happened since this is two years old? So. Um, 
I stopped working on dependency parsing since I came to AI too. <laughs> but uh, one important development has been uh, Google's paper, uh, which was titled Globally Normalized Transition-Based Neural Networks. Um, it's uh, written by Daniel Andor and uh, folks at uh, the Google New York office. Um, yeah, the interesting uh, thing here is that they uh, came up with a method for uh, globally normalizing uh, the model. Uh, so the, the previous the paper that you have been describing uh, really makes a local decision, and we know from um, a long history of work in natural language processing that it's much better to uh, to do global um, global normalization. So one interesting issue with this, there's a whole lot of research in this direction that we're not going to talk about right now, but I can give you a little teaser. Um, this parser does a sequence of shifts and reduces. <clears throat> and it's trained given a gold sequence of shifts and reduces. So at training time, you have a parse tree. You deterministically convert this into a sequence of shifts and reduces, and you train the model. You, the, the model is essentially a um, trained uh, where each state uh, action pair is a training example. And so what this means is at training time, it never sees a state where it's made a wrong decision. And so being able to recover from this uh, at test time, it's not going to have a set of gold action sequences, and so it's going to get into positions that it never even saw at training time, where it has bad decisions on its state. Uh, and so figuring out how to train the model in this kind of situation is tricky, and globally normalizing is a, one way to try to handle this, this general class of problems. Right. Another approach uh, people uh, have considered is using uh, reinforced learning methods, because that's exactly the kind of problems that reinforced learning methods are meant to solve. Okay, I think that's good enough for this paper. Thank you, Matt, for talking about this paper. Next time, we'll talk about design challenges for entity linking, a paper by Chow Ling, Samir Singh, and Daniel Wold in the University of Washington.